Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to another edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Villanova head coach Jay Wright, Porter Moser from Loyal of Chicago, and Tony Delk will be joining me on March Madness Live along with Rich Walls next Thursday and Friday for the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's all coming up on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Villanova head coach Jay Wright on the eve of the Big East tournament in New York. And uh, Jay, you guys finished second in the Big East. You beat Xavier twice, but not able to beat them at the top of the standings. So let's first deal with that. Um, what do you think of the, the year Xavier had? Great respect for their season. Um, you know, we've always maintained in our program the most important thing you can do is, is win a regular season championship because that that shows excellence uh, over a, a over a long season with many uh, obstacles and challenges um, and that's how we always evaluate our program uh, we've never evaluated our program based on how we do an NSA tournament or big east tournament um, because you know you can get hot or, or you can get an injury but over a long season that shows where the program is so obviously their program's in great shape and and, and I'm, I'm I'm pleased with ours too, but we we have some, some work to do um, because we didn't we didn't win a championship. Yeah, I mean, you guys had won each of the first four in this new configured Big East, and there were times this season that you looked like, I mean, you're the clear favorite to win the national championship. And then, as we see, it's a long season. You have injuries to Phil Booth, uh, and that was significant at the time. Um, when you say you get some things to, to tweak here, at least in the week uh, of the Big East tournament, even before the NCAA tournament, what are they? Well, you know, right before um, Phil Booth got uh, hurt, I felt like, you know, we had our two freshmen out with broken hands, uh, Jermaine Samuels and, and um, Colin Gillespie. And, and so so they missed a lot of, of practice time that a freshman needs. Then Phil went down. But right before Phil went down, I felt like we were starting to make some strides defensively. We, we weren't a good defensive team, but the offense was carrying us. Then he went out. Then we lost Pascal. And when both of them came back, it felt like we just weren't connected defensively. And now we're, we're on a path starting to get back. You know, our game at Seton Hall on the road, couldn't make a shot, kind of pulled it out defensively. Still got to get better rebounding. We just out-rebounded Georgetown, which was good for us in our last game. So we're a team that actually is still in the growth process. I just hope we don't run out of time. You know, this week in New York has been, I mean, you haven't always won this. Uh, it's been a grind, um, just like the regular season. What does it take to to win three in a row, um, you know, I mean, obviously teams, there's a couple teams that would have to win four, but what does it take to win three in a row to deal with that back-to-back-to-back? As, as I just saw how difficult it is, you know, in watching the Big Ten tournament on the same floor this past week, and Michigan won four in a row to get it done. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, getting four is, is amazing. You know, it, it takes depth, number one. You know, it takes a lot of mental toughness um, because, you know, by the, by the third game, to still have that desire to really prepare and compete um, and not be satisfied with getting to the finals is rare. It, it takes um, 
a really good plan going in in terms of how to keep people fresh, how to prepare, how to get enough rest, enough hydration. It, it, it's, it is a, a, a really um, complex challenge, but it's, it's one every coach and every team loves. Yeah, I mean, the Garden obviously always delivers. It delivered for the Big Ten, and they're sort of one-off this past week. What has the relationship been for you like with the Garden, especially with the Garden in the Big East? Well, it, you know, as, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Philly guy, and you know, you grew up in Philadelphia. The Palestra is kind of the mecca. Um, having coached in New York at Hofstra, I realized there is life outside of Philadelphia. And, and and when you play in the Garden, you realize that that's that's the mecca, you know. And um, you know, as an assistant at Villanova in the old Big East, as a coach at Hofstra, that place to me is just the greatest place in the world to play college basketball. And uh, the Big East tournament, I still say, besides the NCAA tournament, is the greatest basketball event in our country. Uh, everybody loves to go to Manhattan. Everyone has alumni in Manhattan. Every kid loves to play on that floor in that environment. It's it's it, and it's, you know, I, we don't mind the Big Ten coming in, the ACC coming into Brooklyn. It just brings it even a greater vibe to New York City during that during that that part of the basketball season. And, and it's always been the beauty of the Big East is that vibe in Manhattan. Um, you know, during the, the the beginning of March. Jay, as we get ready for you know this part of Championship Week and Selection Sunday and the NCAA tournament. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how much do you feel like this tournament is as wide open as we've seen, that there's not one dominant team or even a couple dominant teams uh, that could get there? Are you talking about the Big East or the NCAA? The NCAA tournament. Well, I, number one, the Big East is the same way. <laughs> yes, we've yes. We've beaten each other. And then the NCAA tournament maybe even more so. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, Virginia really has dominated college basketball and, and no one really – I, I, no one says that, you know. I mean, it's been tough for anybody to to beat them. I, I really do think they're one of the unique teams in the country that that defensively can win games consistently without making shots. And when they're making shots, you're done. Um, and, and that's what we're striving to be. But I, I do agree with you. Um, anybody, I mean, there there might be 20 teams, you, you know, and, and maybe 15 that could win a national championship. There might be. 20 to 25 that can get to a final four. It, it It is as open as it's ever been, and I think it's great for the game. You know, selections get a lot of the talk leading up, but at the end of the day, I think teams play their way in and play their way out. The seedings are certainly what, you know, sort of is, is the hardest thing to deal with, uh, I think, for the committee and everyone else that's an armchair quarterback. Uh, but, but, you know, how much do you think even the seedings will matter this season? Because I look at a team like Michigan, and – you know, we just talked about them. They won the Big Ten tournament. Their resume is not, you know, of a one, two, or three, maybe. Uh, yet they're playing as if they should be a one, two, or three. And so who knows where they're going to get seated, but you don't want to play them regardless. Exactly. I, I think there's a lot of teams like that. And um, that's why we, we've never really gotten that worked up about seedings because there are so many rules within the seeding process that that take teams out of maybe the the rank they should be in, uh, you know, because of uh, proximity to their home, other conference teams. You know, there's so many rules like that that yeah, I never worry about it. You know, there was one year we were a one seed and, and we lost in the 1-8 game in the second round. And then the next year, um, I think we got a two seed and everyone was all upset about it and we won the national championship. 
You know, it's it's not that big of a deal. It comes down, well, really, it comes down to his matchups. And I, and I know the NCAA always gets criticized for, like, for making these, you know, these dramatic matchups. But there's there's so many rules that they have to abide by in the in the bracketing process that they, they couldn't do that. It's just that you get you get some tough matchups sometimes, and that's just part of the tournament. And then sometimes you get easier matchups. One year, uh, we went to the Final Four, and we had to go through – we had to go through UCLA, uh, Duke, and Pitt, who was the number two team in the country. And everyone said, wow, that's the worst path. And, and we actually, you know, we won all three of those games. So you, you just never know. It's, a, it's all about matchups. And Jay, uh, Jalen Brunson uh, is going to be my pick for National Player of the Year. I always said you're a smart guy. Okay, so that's going to be my pick. Now, he's not the most dominant player. He is not the guy that's going to always get you, you know, 20, 25 and triple doubles or double doubles or anything like that. But what makes him a complete player and a player that is deserving of such an honor? Well, see, I would I would um, contest that, Andy, because I do think he is a dominant player. He he dominates. All right. Let me let me rephrase that. He's not a dominant player in that he's going to, you know, dominate the stats if you will in terms of the the, the headline stats right. maybe that's what right. i should have said he, but he does dominate games like he, he when you play when you play with him and you play against him you realize he's in control of the game and he, he could do it defensively he rebounds he starts the break he fin- sometimes he'll he'll get transition baskets sometimes he'll get transition assists um he controls the tempo of the game he posts up he shoots threes he makes plays for others. He makes free throws at the end of the game. He he's an incredible talent on the floor, and he's got the ability to impact the game in in any way. He makes steals. He takes charges. He I, I really think in every category, he is the most dominant college player. And then you put on top of that, he came to college and set up a program to graduate in three years. It's everything the player of the year should be about. You know, he's a college graduate. He's a national champion. He's been a winner. And he's got the stats and the efficiency to prove it. You know, it's easy to get stats, but are you efficient? You look at his efficiency, it's off the charts. So to that end, um, you know, how much does he, you know, sort of epitomize the ultimate Villanova player? I mean, not that you can't get one-and-dones or haven't had one-and-dones, but it, it, it feels like you get these kind of guys that, you know, whether it's Josh Hart and I could go further back, you know, that develop into this kind of player competing for a national player of the year honor, not in their first year, maybe not in their second, maybe their third, maybe even their fourth, um, as they continue to develop and impact the game in a variety of ways. Yeah, he, he does embody the, the perfect Villanova basketball player. He's, he's uh, a wonderful person, uh, a great teammate, a college graduate, a big part of the campus, a leader and a, and a talented player. And, you know, we're fortunate in that we get guys that, that want to be in college. You know, they, they want to go to college, uh, they want to be educated, and they want to go to the NBA. And that's a great guy to coach, you know. And, and some of them, you know, like Mikhail probably will be a first-round pick. Mikhail Bridges after this year. Jalen um, hopefully will be a first-round pick after the show. Both of them will have their degree. Josh Hart could have left after his junior year but wanted to get his degree. And then got his degree and, and was a you know the the Julie Serving winner for Player of the Year, and and was a first round pick. So I, we feel blessed at Villanova that we get to coach those kind of guys that that want to be here. You know, you got a guy like Omari Spellman might might leave after his first year, 
But if he doesn't, he's happy to come back. He likes college. That's the kind of guys we get. Well, Jay, we appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you this week in New York at the Big East Tournament. Thanks, Andy. Always good talking to you, buddy. Up next here on March Madness 365, Porter Moser from Loyola, Chicago. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Loyola of Chicago head coach Porter Moser, as the Ramblers are on to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 33 years after knocking off Illinois State in a convincing manner in the Missouri Valley Conference tournament title game Sunday in St. Louis. Porter, this has been quite a journey. Um, When you took over this program, what did you think was possible? You know, I, I'm from Chicago. I went to a Jesuit school. I played at Creighton. And I, I love the location. We're right on the lake in Chicago. I love the education. But we had a lot of work to do with the basketball program and just the infrastructure and the, the support and the fan base. And then, you know, all of a sudden, then we jumped up to the Missouri Valley. And it was it's a huge jump for us. And but I tell you, it, it's been a blessing because the Valley is such a good league. It resonates with people. But you know, that's what you hope for when you take over a program like this. And, and to do it where I'm from, um, it's, been, it's been an unbelievable journey. But uh, it's, it's, it's been something that you believe in because of, you know, when, of the things that the university has going for it. When the Valley looked at Loyola as a replacement uh, for Creighton, if I'm not mistaken, your alma mater. Yep. You know, I mean, clearly they wanted to get into Chicago. Loyola doesn't bring a huge fan base, but you bring the city when you can be good. And I'm not trying to think that suddenly that you're, you know, the whole city's, you know, surrounding this program. I mean, there's plenty of other interests as other programs. Northwestern captivated the city a year ago. We'll see if DePaul can ever can, or if Illinois got hot. Uh, It's clearly also a pro town, but what, what did you hear from the Valley as to what they were hoping that marriage would end up delivering? Well, I, you know, I think you hit on the nail. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think it was the Chicago market. You know, I, I think that was a big draw to it. You know, there's some three other Illinois teams, Bradley, Illinois State, and Southern uh, in, in it. So maybe there was some built-in rivalries. But there was there was a little skepticism. I mean, more than a little skepticism. Like, really? Loyola replacing Creighton? And the, the thing about it is if you look at that conference realignment, Andy, at that time, five, six years ago, of all the teams that moved up, not the lateral ones like a Syracuse, the ones that moved up. You have Butler, Final Four, VCU, Final Four, Xavier, multiple Elite Eights, Creighton, multiple NCAA tournaments, Davidson, NCAA tournament, Utah moved up. They're a Final Four team. You can go down the list, George Mason, a Final Four team, of teams that moved up. And then you had Loyola, three winning seasons in 30 years. We didn't, we didn't have the, the basketball pedigree in recent years of some of these. So it took a moment. Like we, in our first year, we struggled like crazy. And then the next year after that, we decided we went and we had a winning season. We went to the CBI and we won the thing and ended up winning 24 games. And since that year, the last four, we've won 85 games in four years. And so I think it's, I think it originally started out um, as, as a Chicago market, but I'll tell you this. I was, I was fortunate to be a, a part of the, the first team at Creighton to ever win 20 games three years in a row. And it wasn't the Creighton it is now. I mean, it's, I mean, we didn't have the fan base they have now, the facilities. And, you know, hopefully we can build someday towards that, that, you know, you can have this awesome education in a great location and build up your program. So we're hoping this arrow is moving into something like that. And I'll tell you, the most famous thing that 
Loyola was known for in the last 15 years. Uh, I was there. And you know what that was? That was for the Yao Ming workout at Loyola. Uh, I did it for ESPN News at the time. Uh, when he came to the United States, I think for the first time, and Mitch Henderson was sort of the rag doll who was the workout guy. And I remember walking on Loyola's campus, going to the gym. Uh, it was You name it from the NBA was surrounding it. Uh, and that's what I remember about Loyola until <laughs> this season. Uh, I mean, I knew yeah. you were doing well there, but I mean, you know, it, it feels like you're starting anew, even though there's a long history, you know, a championship level history uh, in this program. But it almost felt like you were starting your own history uh, in the recent past. I mean, how true do you think that is? I think it's really true. It's, it's funny you said about Yao Ming thing, because there really hasn't been much to talk about. And I think that, you know, you've got to start the arrow going in a direction sometime. And you're right. We've done we've done pretty good the last couple of years, you know, but you got to You got to do something like we're doing right now. You got to have that breakthrough, I think. And I think I just think this has so much going for it. I mean, I'm biased because I'm from Chicago and I just think our location is unique being literally right on the lake. Our campus sits on the lake and it is so true about where it's going. Our rich history, the 63 national team. I mean, it not only was a moment in college basketball, but culturally for integration in the South, the game of change. So those guys, you know, the, the past was huge, but it's been a long time. Like you said, 33 years. So I'm blessed. And I feel like I'm hoping this is and not hoping, but my vision and dreams that is moving into that direction to be more consistent. You are a disciple, a former assistant of my, you know, late great friend, Rick Majerus. You were very close to him as well. Um, what have you taken from him that you've applied that you really know that you've applied in the in the way you've coached this team? You know, um, a handful of things. You know, one, I remember talking with you after my whole situation in Illinois State, and you know, I, you, you felt I had, um, you know, sometimes you don't have enough time, and I was about to take another low Division One job, and Rick called me, and, and, I, and I went with him. Just I just wanted to learn from what I thought was one of the best coaches in the country. And, you know, it solidified, you know, doing it the right way. You know, he always we always we built that up at St. Louis with good kids, tough kids, kids that love to play. And it was kind of a certain profile recruiting. And my first year at Loyola, Rick would write me, call me like, don't skip steps, don't skip steps. And he, you know, do it the right way with good kids. And um you know, sometimes when you go through what I went through, you might get anxiety because of, of trying to skip steps and rush. So I learned from him and it kind of solidified, do it the right way. But the big thing is he was an amazing teacher, Andy. That was like, if someone told you, hey, go out and hedge a ball screen. You know, you watch a practice, you'll see coaches tell the kids, hedge it, hedge it. Well, if Rick told you to hedge it, he'd be like, all right, your toes got to be parallel to the sideline. Your hips got to be past the screen so they can't split the screen your head's got to be back so your balance is i mean he had like 10 teaching points to teach the head the hedge and that would that's what separated him and you know we we had all these little things and it was accumulation of a lot of little things how he taught it that made up the whole and you know he was just an amazing teacher and he didn't rush sometimes you know you, you find yourself in the beginning of a season just rushing you're trying to get everything in rick was like i don't care you know, if I'm not right, it was, we're going to be ready in February. And he, we took, he took his time and taught it. And he was just, he was a, the consummate teacher. And, and that's what I took from him. 
I also remember, because I sat with him many a night or many a pregame, and that he was so obsessive in terms of his attention to detail on scouting, on breaking yeah. you know, the opposing player down, whether he goes over his left shoulder, his right shoulder, does he go to the right or the left, you know, what does he do at this point? And uh, I'll never forget there was one time where uh, Utah, I can't remember who they were playing, and um, this is during the Van Horn, Andre Miller, Miller era, and they would have these long sheets of paper in a conference room in a hotel on each player, like all 12 guys, you know, so that you could study up and break each one down. What do you remember him doing that kind of thing at St. Louis? And I'm curious if you've incorporated any of that attention to detail at uh, Loyola. Andy, I'm smiling as you're talking. I, I, if my players are going to listen to this, they will do it. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We do the exact same thing. Um, it was funny. They had a picture of a, a locker room uh, scene. Of one of the people people came and took a picture. We do it in our locker room. We got a boardroom. We sit the guys down at our shoot around, and a couple of the former Majerus assistants are like classic Majerus locker room. And we we it's we we do it. You know, it's 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 a the attention to detail is, is handwritten. That, handwritten. No, no, thank God. Um, <laughs> now the, the diagrams, like when we go on the road, we have easel paper and the diagrams are, but like now we have it typed out. We send it to Kinko's and we blow it up. We we don't have it. But I remember when I was first in St. Louis, we had to do it handwritten. And so finally it was like, we had some smart secretary who was finally like, uh, we can do this at Kinko's instead of handwriting this every single game. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's he for sure. The, the scouting, I mean, that was another thing you take from him. He had a very unique way Andy, to sit in a boardroom with him and, and just talk about hey how are we going to take away the, the two or three things they do best he was unbelievable at it just being able to see it and and, and figure out a game plan and, and in terms of the florida game because that's the one that stands out um when you guys knocked off florida um what did that tell you about the potential of this particular group you know one that they believed i mean they they, they we lost our point guard in the first half who ended up being the player of the year in the Valley, Clayton Custer. He, he, we lost him. So at halftime, I think we might've been up two or four or something like that. And he, you know, you would, you would have thought you lose your best player, your best point guard. And uh, it was a good run. We had a good first half, but these guys came out and were played even harder in the second half. We're a tight group. We have five guys averaging in double figures, but it, it told us that, you know, they believed, you know, there's, there's always a level of buy-in, but when you when you start winning even more and more and more, it's natural. The buy-in becomes bigger and bigger, and it keeps growing. And when you get a win like that, a top five on the road, it just increased it, the buy-in, the belief in everything you're doing. And the way in which you guys played this tournament, you know, especially the final, you know, knowing what's at stake and, you know, I mean, you know, in these kind of one-bid leagues and you know that, you know, everything's on the line. How did you guys, and, and, you're, the, and you're the champ, I mean, how'd you guys handle the pressure of that? You know, it started about five, six weeks ago, Andy. Like, after the first nine games, um, we were about to start the second half of the conference run, and we were in first place. And all the questions were about, you know, how does it feel now? Loyal is being chased. And we kind of, in our own, had a mantra within our locker room, like, no finish line. We're not, we're, not, we're not being chased. We haven't won anything. You know, we're the ones chasing. We're chasing a championship. So we had this this mantra about no finish line, and, and you know, we we're, we're the ones chasing and it was kind of in our head and truly Andy down this, like this last two, three weeks, we haven't not one time during this year. And we talked about an at-large bid. 
I've been asked the question about a hundred times the last couple of weeks, like, Hey, if you guys, you know, you don't win at all, you're not going to get in. We haven't talked amongst our guys with that. It was strictly about, and it's a great life lesson for everybody, our guys, every is we, all we talked about was what we could control. You know, these guys, I mean, I credit them young guys. It's hard to do that. And they, they literally, all that we talked about was we can control the game in front of us. Our practices literally were getting harder in February and it's a credit to them as young people to, to, to view it like that. So now that you're in, you don't have to sweat. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have been the first one on that pulpit. I, I know. So, <laughs> so now that, you know, so now that you're in and people will get their bracket on Sunday night, uh, what should people know about this team, uh, this team's ability to pull off a win or two uh, next week? You know, we, we, we've, I've been saying it all year, even when we weren't drawing any fans, that, you know, this is a fun team to watch. We share the ball. We're, I think we're right there in the top three in offensive efficiency. You know, and Rick, and you were friends with him, Andy, in his, in his Wisconsin accent, you know, we do offensive spacing and spacing is offense. Love it. And we, we do that. We just add a little pace to it. We kind of call it pace and space. And we space the ball. We got guys, four guys pretty much all the time that can shoot the three. We play really hard. Uh, we're not the biggest team in the world, but we play really hard. And I think it's a fun team to watch because we share the ball. Well, Porter, I appreciate it. And I know we'll be checking you out next week uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I think you're going to end up being a team that a lot of people will look favorably upon uh, as they're filling out their bracket. Congratulations on winning the Valley. Hey, Andy, thanks for having me. And coming up here in March Madness 365, Tony Delk. Joining me now here on March Madness 365, Tony Delk. Uh, you should know him as uh, a unbelievable college player at Kentucky. Had a good NBA career as well. A uh, little stint with the SEC Network. And now I get to call my colleague because we're going to be joined by Rich Walls. And the three of us will be rotating on Thursday and Friday, the first round of the NCAA Tournament on March Madness Live. Make sure you get that app and we're going to be diving into games all around the country, live look-ins, essentially, and letting you know what's happening and discussing uh, results. And I'm sure talking to various uh, players and coaches and really just sort of uh, dissecting the first round and the first two days of the NCAA tournament, which are always two of the greatest days in the American sports calendar. Uh, So, Tony, uh, I'm looking forward to that. This tournament, in general, though, feels like at this juncture it is wide open. What's your general sort of view of what we're going to see a week from now. Andy, first of all, thanks for having me on, and I'm excited about working with you. This tournament, you know, it it is wide open. Uh, I think a team that kind of caught my eye the last couple of days has been Michigan. I mean, Michigan really has played extremely well. You know, um, you see a lot of good ball movement, player movement, but just run some really good sets. I mean, you know, I was just sitting back watching the different sets that, that coaches are running this late in the season. And you got to have a few sets or a few wrinkles that you that, that you don't normally have during the regular season. You got to start preparing for the NCAA tournament because you're going to be scouted so well. So they're 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 one of the teams that stood out to me that was playing really good ball. But I don't know if that time off is going to hurt them or not. You know, so you're going to see some other team drive to the occasion. Uh, SEC is will probably get about seven or eight teams in, and and the uh, conference has done well all year. So they've definitely represented the SEC and a in a different different format than they have in the past. Yeah, what I love about Michigan, I was in New York for the Big Ten tournament, is first of all, 
They continue to get better every week, every game. You know, John Beeline is a phenomenal coach and loves to take apart the opposing player and make sure that that player does not beat you. And, right. you know, his guys are all in. And, uh, you know, he's got transfers. He's got an international player. And, you know, it's <laughs> kind of like last year where they won the Big Ten tournament. You know, right. they had a good chance to advance deep. I think this team's better and more balanced. And they're going to be one that's going to be interesting to watch. In terms of their their layoff, what I actually think could help them is normally the Big Ten, you know, tournament title game is on a Sunday right up against the selections. And that winner is like slotted in no matter what because they don't have time. This time they have, they'll have a chance to really evaluate Michigan and say, okay, they play pretty well. Their resume not be, you know, for a three or something like that, but let's put them there. We'll think hey, look about at the it. resume. And so I think really that'll look at the resume that. right now. So, you know, you live in Atlanta and you've watched the SEC. So I'm curious your view on uh, what has been sort of a wide-open race, and really it's been turned upside down. I mean, for Auburn and Tennessee to be the co-champs of the SEC, you know, that speaks <laughs> volumes for those two teams, but also to some extent to how the league is is really balanced more than we've seen in a long time. What did you think of the job that Rick Barnes, Bruce Pearl did in those players uh, to end up being co-champs? Yeah, you know, and I think one of those coaches um, will be coach, you know, coach of the year. You know, they, they have done – uh, really well. And I think when I watched Florida early in the year, I, I saw Mike White. That team was so good. I was like, man, you know, they they might actually run through the conference and, you know, they could be the, the SEC uh, regular season champions. And, uh, you know, then they started, you know, a couple injuries and, you know, not playing particularly well after that Duke game. You know, I think teams really caught to what they were doing. And once you get into conference play, you know, teams know your sets, they know your personnel and, you know, you have to protect your home court. But I just think, uh, you know, with Tennessee, they've done an excellent job. Amber Schofield, Grant Williams, Lamonte Turner, Jordan Bowden, and just the way they play defense, another team that moves the ball, set the screens, uh, motion off, have a really good motion offense. And uh, for Bruce Pearl, you know, he lets his guys play. If you if you want to, if you're a point guard or you're a combo guard, he is definitely that, that coach that's going to let you get your get your shots up. He's going to play small ball. He's going to junk it up with different defenses. And he has three players that, you know, I say when you get into the term, you have to have really good guard play. And if Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, and Mustafa Heron are, you know, breaking out his defense, knocking out shots from outside, they could be a dangerous team. The rest of that league is hard to figure out. What are you thinking about your alma mater in terms of Kentucky has looked good, really good at times, and then they look kind of pedestrian, uh, especially – you know, in the month of January when they weren't playing as well. And they got on this little stretch here. You know, they beat Missouri handily at home. And then they go down to Florida. And as you mentioned, the Gators ended up playing at the end of the season the way they did the beginning of the season uh, because they're, they're making shots. Uh, what do you make of Kentucky right now? Well, I knew that was going to be a tough game uh, to win. But, you know, I think they show resilience in, in two games, the West Virginia game and definitely an Arkansas game being down early. Uh, and how they were able to come back. And just a team that's so young, you know, and, and Coach Cal talks every year about, you know, this team's being young, but this is on paper has been his youngest team and just really didn't have that experienced player, you know, with, with the junior, senior class and even having a sophomore other than William that played some minutes but wasn't impactful as he could have been last year. But these guys are young, and it's going to be um, – it's really going to come down to can they make shots, you know, and, and will they be able to defend 
against a lot of different sets. And, you know, they really have to buy in more now than they ever have because, you know, now it is, like like I said, they're one-and-done players and the tournament is one-and-done. So you don't have a luxury of going back watching film and saying, well, he could have corrected this. What what we what could we have done differently? You know, it's all you all in, and you know you have to play defense. But most importantly, you know you have to make some shots. How about Texas A and M? You know, suspensions, injuries. Uh, early in the year, they looked like they were a Final Four team. Then they looked like they weren't going to make the tournament. I still think numbers wise, they will. But uh, you never know which team you're going to get because they've been so inconsistent. Yeah, they have been. Uh, you know, I, I think the probably the most disappointing player on that team is Robert Williams. You know, I, I kind of made comparison last year to him being a young Antonio McDyess, you know, bouncy, you know, could finish around the basket, rebound, block shots, rim runner, and, you know, just 10 and 9, I know 9 is really uh, the rebound department is, is good. At least we know we rebound the ball, but I thought he'd be around the 15, 16 range uh, you know, point total and just really haven't been good. You know, and, and you do have to say they have been injured. You know, there have been injury suspension. And it's going to be important for DJ Ho to have a, a, a coming-out party. You know, he's been inconsistent from the outside. At Montgilder, you know, he's he's going to knock down shots. He's going to play defense. And Tony Coach Morello, so he's going to be another guy from the outside. But it's really going to depend on the front line playing well and also them taking care of the ball. But uh, I think it's going to it's going to probably come down to DJ Ho. You know, can he – can he have a breakout in the NCAA tournament? I hope he can. You know, Alabama played a great schedule, um, and they're really young. And I know Avery Johnson, uh, he's not using that as a crutch, certainly this time of the year, and they've had a lot of injuries. And they've got a fantastic player in Colin Sexton. But they're another team that I think, if they can get in, can really win a couple of games. The question is, can they do well enough in St. Louis in the SEC tournament to actually get into the NCAA tournament? Well, they're definitely going to need, to me, I think, at least get to Saturday. Uh, you know, three three games. If they get to the fourth game, I think they will be in. You know, and it will be so to me disappointing for the fans not to see how spectacular Colin Sexton is and and just how explosive he is. You know, with that ball in his hand and just being a an elite athlete. But once again, they played a tough schedule, and you really got to know your personnel because at the end of the day, you want to play tough, a tough schedule. But you got to have the horses early on to get, help you get those victories. And when you have young players, young players get better as the season goes, goes along. When you have um, juniors and seniors, those are players you can trust early and, and tougher, in, in a tougher environment and against a tougher opponent. But I just think sometimes when your team is young, you might want to play those games later in the season. And I think they're going to matter more because your team would have been improved by then, better chemistry, uh, defensive assignments will be better. They understand the importance of a scouting report. Uh, so if I'm if I'm a coach with a young team, I'm not going to load my team up early with, with tough games, although we can't prepare them and get them ready for the, for the uh, NCAA tournament. But I think once you once you get into conference play, you're going to be challenged enough. Yeah, and the other one is, is Arkansas. Uh, great home team, has struggled on the road. I don't think they're as good as last year when they really pushed North Carolina right there to win. Uh, against the uh, national champs, but um, what's your opinion of, of whether or not this Arkansas team, A, should be in, which I do think they should be, and B, could actually advance a round or two? I really do. I mean, I, I like I like Barford and Macon, you know, just the duo in the backcourt, and uh, Anton Beer will have to be solid at the point guard, you know, and then Daniel Gafford. Uh, Gafford, Gafford, I think he, he is such a tenacious rebounder. You know, he could be a tenacious rebounder, but he dunks everything around the basket. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and for them, for 
I think it's going to be styles, you know, and even when they face Carolina in the last, you know, maybe two out of three years is that, you know, you can't, you can't take your pressing style into the NCAA tournament because teams are ready to prepare for it. And, and the difference when I played and when Arkansas was the 40 minutes of hell back in, in the early 90s was teams really relied on the point guard just bringing the ball down the court. But now you have versatility and you have four or five guys that can handle the ball. So once the ball comes in, you know, you have your four-man, possibly your five-man. A lot of guys can beat that press, throw the ball ahead, and they can make plays. So you got to pick and choose when you're going to press. And I think that's the difference in the last couple of years with Arkansas is that they rely so heavily on it, and they were successful in the SEC. But once you get to the NCAA tournament, teams are prepared for that, and, they, and they're going to have multiple ball handlers. Well, Tony, uh, I know we're going to have a lot of SEC teams to dissect next week because they're going to get a host of them in there. We'll see how far they can Maybe advance. Maybe Missouri. Don't, 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 don't oh, I'm Missouri sorry. Thank be. you. Thank they, you. They might get in. Uh, no, no. I, I totally spaced on Missouri. I appreciate that. Yeah. First of all, Michael Porter doesn't need to play right now. Because Jonte Porter is having himself an end his of the season. Big brother's holding it down. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah little little brother's holding it down for big brother. <laughs> yes. And, and by the way, they'll be the de facto home team in St. Louis. So this week they've got a great advantage. And Conzo Martin's done a great job. They got a shot. You like know, I said, they, they, have, a, they have a shot. And, and I, I think, you know, we, we're going to look at coach of the year. It's either going to be Rick Barnes, Conzo, or Bruce Pearl. And to me, Missouri, with how – they came back from last from last season, the last couple of seasons, you know, and to be, uh, you know, to have a 20-win season, you know, it, it speaks volumes for his recruiting, but also his coaching, uh, his coaching ability and getting those guys to buy in and play the style he wants them to play. Well, Tony, uh, I am really looking forward to working with you next Thursday and Friday. That's March Madness Live. Get that app, and you'll be watching us along with Rich Walls Break down all the first-round games. It's two of the best days on the American sports calendar. Thanks for joining me here on March Madness 365. Appreciate it. Take care. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. A quick reminder, we're now going to be debuting the podcast on Monday nights in the month of March because of the NCAA tournament. We want to preview the week ahead, look back on the weekend. That's what we're going to do on March Madness 365. We're covering college basketball all year round. Thanks for listening.